Please send Mashiach now. I'd like to welcome you back to another round of our Akare Mot Kedoshim, double parasha for the week. As of this podcast, we are now entering into the sixth of ER. And we are just out of the fifth of ER. And why do I bring that up? Because it commemorates a very, very special event in our national history of Israeli Independence Day. So on this day in 1948, or as of yesterday, in 1948, the 5th of ER, that we got to celebrate our independence of Israel. And this is one of the modern holidays that has been added to our observance. And it says it's normally observed on the 5th of ER, and it may be moved earlier or postponed if the observance of the holiday of Yom Hazikaron, which precedes it, would conflict with Shabbat. So this is very interesting. Yom Hazikaron is the memorial day, and we commemorate uh, just different wars in history or um, members of the armed forces of Israel that have fallen. And so may their memories be for a blessing. And then we come right out of that into celebrating the victory that we were given for becoming a state. So it's very interesting because it's kind of a a interesting scenario where it's the nation of Israel, but or the state of Israel, but we're a nation. We're we're more than just, you know, um, a legal declared entity. Like, you know, Texas is a is a state in the United States and, you know, um, Hungary is a country in Europe and things like that. We are a divinely mandated uh, entity where, you know, the land of Israel was given to us by Hashem. And it is something that, you know, we can't ever bring down into human terms only like it does have a human term but it's not exclusively uh pigeonholed into that so that's something that's really important to remember and the other thing i wanted to say was that 1948 if you go by the hebrew years the hebrew year of 1948 which was Lots of lots of lots of years and centuries ago, uh, 1948 was when Abraham Avinu was born. And so find it very interesting that between the Hebrew calendar uh, for our tradition of keeping the years versus the Gregorian calendar, 1948 matched up with the birth of Abraham and the birth of Israel. And again, this is when we celebrated and declared independence. Because Israel has always been under control. We're still under control uh, by foreign uh, allegiances, foreign powers, if you will. Which is good and bad at the same time. Because one of the big things that's happening right now is this big call to make Aliyah to to the land. And it's like, hurry, do it before it's too late. You know, it's not going to be safe in other places and you know the jews need to come home and the crazy thing about that is when you say the jews need to come home who are the jews because the definition of who's jewish 
is very, very murky these days because there's a list of Rabbonim that are considered to be legitimate as far as if you do conversion through them and whether or not you're accepted to make Aliyah in the land. So even if you go through a halakhic conversion, if you don't go via the people on this particular list, then you're not considered to be halakhically uh, kosher as a convert to enter into Eretz Israel and make Aliyah. So basically the result is that even if you are halakhically converted, regardless of if it's this acceptable list or not, you trying to make Aliyah is made a little bit complicated because you have all these hoops and things that have to be dealt with. And you don't have any support, especially for those of us who are Lapid, who believe in Yeshua and all the get you sums out there, you know, and things like that, that, you know, we're waiting on uh, the official mikvah. And, you know, some of us have been circumcised. Some of us have done Hatafat Dambri. And some of us have been converted previously under other uh, administrations and things like that. So you have this full gamut of people all needing to do the same thing, but from various points. And so it kind of makes it interesting because aside from the conversion aspect, how are we actually living is the other thing, you know, because if you just learned about Shabbat and you're just now entering into it, it's like, okay, so where are you at on the spectrum of conversion and where are you at on the spect spectrum of your observance? Because how long does it take for you to get your observance in, in a proportion, so to speak? It takes a lifetime for that, by the way. That's the answer to that question. It takes a lifetime. And so many times it's you, uh, we're made to feel that if you don't got it down now, then uh, you're out. And it's just kind of like, no, you're not. Because you don't ever tell a five-year-old Jewish child that they're out. They're allowed to make Aliyah, whether or not they eat kosher, whether or not they are fully Shomer Shabbos, whether or not... You know, they, they know Halakha and they know Talmud and know Mishnah. It's just like, well, yeah, because they're five. And it's like, well, guess what? Even if you're 40 or if you're 60 or if you've just learned about Torah right now, you're still in that same category because in Judaism, you're actually given 20 years before you're considered accountable and liable on a legal like heavenly court, uh, uh, leadership court uh, establishment in Judaism, which is right now the rabbinim, which is why you choose your own rabbi and you go by his rulings and you're in his community. So we are under Rabbi Griffin Shlita. And so whatever he says, that's that's what we ad adhere to. But if you're under, I don't know, let's throw out a, a random rabbi, uh, Rabbi Yaron, Ru Yaron Ruvain Shlita, if you're under his uh, jurisdiction and his community, then you go by what he says or any other rabbi that you could find on the interwebs and the YouTubes and their personal websites and Facebooks and things like that. You'd be under them. But the thing is, is if you follow them and you listen to their teachings and you want to adhere to whatever their decrees are, 
Well, if you're not a part of their community and if they don't know you, you're kind of wasting your time because there's no personal connection there and there's no accountability whether or not you're exceeding or not exceeding in the standard that is set, which is really cool for those of us who are under Rabbi Griffin when we're in Sar Shalom and Lapid and all the Avengers and things like that, all Lapid Nation, we have literally personal connection and accountability because we can come to said establishment. We're a part of the HCO community and things like that. And so it's really important to understand, you know, we're adhering to what we're supposed to adhere to. So therefore, if we're not individually or communally accepted as halakhically kosher to be a Jew, much less make Aliyah, then, you know, that's the complication that I'm talking about because we do have an establishment. We do follow halakha. We are kosher Jews, but yet we may not be accepted by communities in Israel right now. So telling everybody to make Aliyah and let's get this done now before, you know, the world goes into more chaos because that's kind of coming. Uh, all the little seeds are popping their heads up and we don't, we're not supposed to really get engrossed in that. What we're really supposed to get engrossed in is bringing light. There is a Christian rapper who I'm friends with and we used to uh, hang out a lot actually, uh, family to family. And uh, she has this song called Pushing Light. And I love that context because she's like, Pushing Light. Yeah, I'm pushing light, you know, and it's all this stuff about, you know, going to war with, you know, being a person who brings holiness and righteousness into the world. Now, obviously, with all the details of Christianity and everything, that's that's an interesting little cubbyhole. But, you know, the premise is, are you in your word and are you advancing God's kingdom on the earth? So, again, that's what we're supposed to be focused on. But anyway, the whole thing with making Aliyah is like, okay, I want to make Aliyah, and that's where we all need to be, by the way. Uh, it, it would be really great for us to have passports, be really great for us to uh, pick, you know, areas in the land that we would desire and prefer to live in, you know, uh, try to look at, you know, the apportioning of the land for the tribes, you know, those are in like Ezekiel and things like that. So you can learn about in the time to come what Israel is going to look like. By the way, there's going to be lots of land moving and things like that topographically. So the way Israel looks, especially Jerusalem right now, is not the way it's ultimately going to look. There's going to be a lot of moving and shifting because, you know, things like the Dead Sea, they're going to that's going to become a fishing hole. And. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah will be rebuilt to look like the Ghani Den that it used to. And that's going to be all renewed and things like that. There's going to be a big renewal and things going on and a topographical changing of the place because the temple is going to be Mount Zion, which is connected to Yerushalayim, Mount Moriah, all of that. That's all going to be happening. So, you know, again, we should want to be in the land and uh, desire to do so. And remembering, just like it says in Devarim chapter 30, if you read that whole chapter, it's important to know that Hashem himself is, is the one who's going to gather us in. Mashiach Yeshua confirms that because he says the Son of Man will come and he'll be with the angels and he will gather us, you know, from the four corners of the earth and, and all that. So it's it's very, very beautiful when we look at the overall goal and the re overall ending result of everything. 
So just a little drop there, just where we're at as a nation and the current status of Jews in the world. Yes, we do need to desire to make Aliyah. And yes, we do need to be getting us some. You know, all of us need to live, get you some lives and really make sure that we're straining, pressing towards the high mark, no matter what level we're on. And we can't look down on each other because we don't know where each other's come from. Some of us have come from farther distances away which means we're probably very, very exhausted and tired. And it's just it's just amazing that we even know what up is. OK, because, you know, life can get really rough and, you know, there's all sorts of challenges and there's all sorts of factors that are involved. Some of us, we man, we kind of floated into this. You know, Hashem sent the little butterflies or the little uh, carrier pigeons who like scooped us up in the little baby bassinet and just dropped us in there all gently or the Peter Pan fairy dust kind of stuff. And we just kind of floated into Judaism. Oh man, I grew up in this or, you know, I always been connected to Jewish people. And I've, I've been in the word of God for so long and, you know, everything's just like clicking now because, you know, I get it, you know, and it's just like, well, let's just remember the only reason any of us know about any of Torah, any of Hashem, any of being Jewish, any of conversion, any of Halakha is because Hashem himself is the one who initiated that within us. Because if not, we'd still be asleep. We'd still be out there in our own sins and rebellion. And that's just a fact. And we have to remember that. So we can't get crazy for thinking that we're on a higher rung or a higher level than anybody else. And furthermore, did we not just go through Parsha Tazria Madzora? We learned the person got Za'arat because they thought that they were better than other people and they looked down on other people and they used their mouth particularly to say something about that. And so how can I get the upper hand on everybody so that I am all that in the kosher bag of chips with the kosher dip? You know, like, and that, that's just kind of like you're missing the whole entire point. And again, you definitely have self-incriminated yourself if you're in this category because did not Messiah Yeshua say the greatest among you shall be the least, the servant, you know, the person who is lower, the person who doesn't esteem themselves higher than anybody else. If you want to lord yourself over people, that's what the Goyim, the pagans, that's what the nations do. My people, my followers, people of Hashem, people of the holy priesthood and the royal nation, like we don't do that. Did we not understand that when we were born again as a whole at Pesach, Israel became a nation at the Exodus. Israel was not a nation before then. We were collective souls combined together, but we didn't completely become a nation until Hashem took us out of slavery together. And what did we learn at that Seder? That we have to serve one another you don't pour your own glass. You pour somebody else's glass. It doesn't matter if they're older than you or younger than you. Just by default, because you're connecting, you're in the same covenant. Hashem is like, you love your neighbor as you love yourself. Oh, snap. Okay, so that's Parsha Kedoshim. All right, so we're already getting back in connected, even though I'm just rambling. But I hope this is um, poignant information for us all to really adhere to. And I pray that all of us, all of Yiddishkeit, not just the Lapid nation, but I'm talking every single branch of Judaism. And I love that we're branches, you know, because branches connected to the vine, you know, but that we need to all realize that that is that's the truth. So we can't ever say, well, you know, your observance is terrible and I don't even know why you're trying. 
And, you know, this community, y'all just y'all just need to get your act together. If those kinds of words are coming out of your mouth, that is called self-projection. And that is basically saying that you're you're not feeling up to par yourself. And uh, I'll just share personally because, you know, while I'm rambling on with this and this is all, by the way, the, the entire podcast, the goal is to talk about preparation for the Day of Atonement. So uh, Yom Kippur prep, basically. And really, it's really cool because Yom Kippur prep is the same way we prep for entering into the Seder and, and the Week of Unleavened Bread. So, again, Yom Kippur and Pesach are just totally just linked up and connected and it's just super amazing but anyway the preparation process for us is to understand that so i was in shakarit prayer uh on yesterday now because it's a new day because the day started at night so it's really interesting it's a brand new day and it's like it's dark outside you're like i know but it's so new hashem's mercies are new every day and it's like yeah in the morning but what about the nighttime? It's like, well, yeah, you got to go through the night before you can get to the morning. You know, why do you think we in exile waiting for the final redemption and praying that Hashem brings it on? Like, let's not take any more time, please. Abba, come get us. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so, yeah, I was in Shakari prayer and I'm like, I'm tearing up while I'm praying. And I'm like, what is going on? And it's like. Yeah, you know, the quarantine is, is kind of phasing, you know, uh, that some areas they're still happening and some areas it's, it's kind of lifting. And so there's the back to work starting to go on back to, uh, you know, getting things done on a daily basis and, you know, uh, coming out of unemployment and things like, especially for me, you know, um, that, you know, I said, I've been temporary furlough and it's been a, a really re big reset time for me because the things that I've always felt like I did not have time to do, namely do all these podcasting among other things. Cause you know, that's why I'm really taking advantage of it. So the reason you're getting all these podcasts, is because that's been the scenario. And I'm like, Hashem, thank you for this time. And, uh, Hashem has been doing so much provision. There's lots of, uh, covering lots of generosity that's been going on. So Baruch Hashem, but I do know that this ends and I was praying that it ended with the final redemption. And if it doesn't end with the final redemption, I'm still going to be expecting it. But yeah, I'm going to have to go back to work, which means I'm not going to have time anymore. And it's going to be very jarring to me. And so I was already kind of losing my mind on that. And then I had to realize, well, today has enough worries of its own. So don't worry about tomorrow. You know, even if that tomorrow's in like three or four weeks, which are going to go by very, very fast. So it will seem like tomorrow. But uh, the point is, is I was thinking, oh, my gosh, like all this time I'm getting to take, I'm getting to take extra prayer time, extra study time. Um, and of course there's all the chores and, and things like that, family life and, and things, but just personally what I'm dealing with, you know, and, and how I'm, the dynamics of life has changed for me and the, the gratitude that I've had for this, this quarantine, you know, uh, that, it's gonna, it's gonna come to an end. I'm gonna have to get back to work and figure out rebalancing, uh, obligations. And so it was, uh, it was very kind of tear jerking for me. And, uh, this time too has allowed me to realize, you know, where my place is, 
you know, within the greater context of the body of the Jewish nation. And, you know, I realize I, I pray that Hashem has me as a Levite, you know, and I do want to dwell within the tribe of Dan, you know, and things like that and um, be able to serve the community and things like that, because, I mean, that's just what I do. I've realized, too, I told uh, Ishpela Shlita that, you know, man, people don't like if whatever people are trying to do, I just want to come alongside them and help them. I want to be that guy, you know, that, that makes everybody looks cool. Literally, it's like, uh, I'm, I got this. I feel like, you know, I'm talking with Hashem and I'm studying and da, 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 da. And I'm like, I'm putting this stuff together. And then it's just like, but I don't know what the source for that is. And then I, I was reading something else over here and I couldn't remember what that was all about. And then people are sharing like little drops from books. And it's just like, where was that from? And I'm like, oh yeah, I know where that's from, you know, and da, 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 da. And I send out the little context because, you know, Brugashim with all the extra time I'm getting, I'm getting to just go through a gauntlet of stuff. And, um, and by the grace of Hashem, I've come across that same source. And so I'm able to like share, oh, that's from such and such source. And, oh, you were looking for this. That's actually found over here, you know, and just kind of help people, you know, uh, be supported, you know, because everybody's got their thing, you know, some people are like, I don't need no help. I got all the sources. And I'm like, Baruch Hashem, can you share with me? <laughs> you know? So anyway, just, I go on forever talking about that. But yeah, that's, that's one of the things that I realized, like, I want to be in the pillar of Torah. I want to definitely be like artillery support, you know, which go figure being East Shomer. Again, Shomer coming from the word guardian, you know, it's just kind of like, wow. And by the way, because uh, this is really cool. Shomer is also related to the word for samurai. It could technically be called Shomerai. Get you some. So anyway, because uh, I'm a huge samurai fan, I need to start actually uh, getting more acquainted with that uh, that actual genre of things. Because I haven't really watched a lot of samurai movies, but I'm really more into ninjas and samurais. But anyway, I'm supposed to be talking about Shakarit. So what happened... <laughs> I was crying when I got done, and the whole time I was praying, I had a lot of, uh, I got a lot of impurity and uh, gross materiality shaken out of me, which, by the way, is really cool because we're counting the Omer, right? So, as I was sharing with another Avenger, one of our newest ones, by the way, shouts out to the new Avengers, holler! Anyway... Um, I was sharing with them one of the insights from Rabbi Trugman Shlita, and he was saying that counting the Omer, you're like shaking off, you know, all these, um, these hindrances or blocks or like struggles and just things that have, uh, bogged you down. Like you're shaking that off and you're literally taking off the old, putting on the new, for lack of a better terms. Paraphrasing what he said, but that's basically what he was saying. He basically was quoting from the writings of Paul because, you know, writings of Paul sounds a lot like rabbinic Judaism when you actually study rabbinic Judaism. So anyway, I was just like, oh, yeah, you're you're just basically saying what Paul said, but you're doing it in a whole like Rabbi Tonka truck style. So, you know, that's legit. Don't get in the way because you will get rolled over. So move, get out the way. Anyway, so, uh, so yeah, I was just kind of realizing that. And so what got shaked out of me is that what are you going to, how are you going to comport yourself? A fancy word, comport yourself. 
when you don't have as much time to pray and when you don't have as much time to study, when you don't have as much time to podcast, are you going to still feel like you're legitimate? Are you going to still feel like you're, uh, you're able to be super helpful? Are you still going to feel like you're doing a good job serving me? And I was like, what? What? Why we got to talk about this right now? I mean, obviously, I know we have to talk about it at some point. And what better time than to be in prayer with Hashem? Because, you know, as Rabbi Griffin uh, brought down in one of his previous drashas on Shabbat, the uh, the opportunity we have while we're in prayer to really correct a lot of our medotes. You know, your mind wanders naturally as your lips are speaking something. So the thing is, is to keep that synced up is you keep that devotion and that, that fixation towards a shim so that, <clears throat> so basically what you're actually doing is as the words are being uttered from your lips, which come out of the overflow of your heart. So yeah, that's right. If you're saying these prayers, they're actually being written on your heart, which is why sometimes if you're trying to say one prayer, you end up saying another prayer and you're like, where did that come from? Because if you sing your blessings, like I pray I can do all of them like that, because the more we can sing our blessings, by the way, the more we connect to uh, temple times, because there's a lot of singing and chanting of the, the prayers and the scriptures and things like that. But anyway, as you start to sing, you're like realizing, oh, no, that's the wrong bracha. It's like this bracha, you know, and you're like, ah, oh. well, that's because it's, it's it literally is written on your heart, you know, and so the other one still working its way into you. So you're having everything written on your heart and you're speaking it out and your mind is wondering. But now you take that that force of your mind wondering and you focus it on Hashem. Help me, Hashem. There's stuff that I realize that I've not had in in the right proportion. I haven't prioritized such things. I've been haughty here. I've been um, angry here. I've been frustrated here. I've been depressed here. So I need to pull that up. You know, and I've been uh, way too turned up, so I need to pull that down. I know turned down for what is a thing, but literally you have to sometimes. There's a time for being turned up, like Simcot Torah, and then there's a time for just just keep it keep it level, okay? Keep it at like minus ten or minus five dB on the little uh, fader. Ask me how about I know about a fader, because uh, one of our Avengers, Adam Hamaor, got me one, and I'm looking at my lights over here. Like, okay, make sure the the little green light doesn't turn red. Anyway, so uh, so shouts out to you, Adam Hamaor. I appreciate you again. Public shout out. So <clears throat> anyway, you can't act like you're at Simcot Torah when you're at Yom Kippur or if you're at, man, uh, Tisha B'Av or the 17th of Tammuz, like, those are not times to have your volume turned all the way up and be close to turning your green lights to red on the on the audio board. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, don't do it. So, yeah. So, you know, we have to have all these things in the right proportion and we have to moderate things and and bring stuff back into balance. And so I'm crying during Shakarit with all this because I'm like, wow, you know, so what's important, you know, and revealing godliness in the world and making Hashem's name one in my life. That's what's important. And regardless of how much time you get to pray, regardless of how much time you get to study, regardless of how, of how much time you actually get to do mitzvot, 
you know, you want to do mitzvot, you know, but at the core of your mitzvah keeping and your studying, your praying, your acts of kindness, your meditation time and focus time, your one-on-one time with the Shem, your one-on-one time with your family, you know, uh, going to shul and teaching classes and things like that. What's at the core of it all, you know? And I was like, Hashem, it's just you. Like, I've I've been uh, grateful for this time because this is where I want to be, you know? And it's like, well, yeah, that's coming in the Olam Haba. But in the meantime, how are people going to get access to literally Hashem through me? You know, like, how are people going to access Hashem through me? If I'm always, you know, head in books and, you know, if I wasn't at work, if I wasn't, you know, forced to be in traffic, if I wasn't forced to be at the grocery store and things like that, you know, how are people going to have access doing the the daily mundane things which by the way Parsha Kedoshim teaches us that spirituality and the highest heights of all that it's not being in the holy of holies all the time it's not it's not staying in holy rapture with Hashem and uh, Kari Moda is going to get into this and that's kind of my concluding point so I'm already uh, 30 minutes into the podcast just about so uh, we'll see how this goes it's a lot of information, but just to point out that, man, you know, Hashem, it's it's you. And I want to get as much of you as I possibly can. And, and it's just kind of like, wow. So I can't feel like a failure if I don't get to do a two-hour shakarit. You know, I'm doing a two-hour shakarit because I got time. Like, if you're in quarantine and you're not taking advantage of your prayer time, oh, man. Like, mm. Obviously, you may have other stuff to do, so you don't have to do a two-hour shakarit. Maybe you can do a two-hour ma'ariv or, you know, do supplicatory prayers between minka and uh, shak- or between shakarit and minka or minka and ma'ariv or something. Or take hiboda due time, however you need to do it, you know. Don't try to rearrange the prayer times or anything. Don't get me wrong on that uh, as far as, I'm not telling you to do that, but I'm just saying, you know, certain prayers that you haven't been used to saying and now that you're in quarantine you have more time and if you weren't doing any of this and if you didn't have other obligations to take a hold of and you got all this free time well use that free time to spend with the shim and so anyway so i've had free time in the morning and i'm like all right you know aliyah day is done too so you know there's still time in the morning before i can actually do minka time so i'm gonna do some of these extra prayers and stay in my tefillin a little longer and stay in my tallit a little longer, you know. And I've already done all chores and all tasks, you know, so I, there's not really any demand on my schedule. And so I'm like, all right. So, um, yeah, so I was just kind of like, so when I have to go back to work and, you know, I have to be up early and uh, like earlier than early, like, you know, obviously I'm not waking up at, at like the... I'm not waking up at two o'clock in the afternoon, basically, is what I'm saying. But I'm also not waking up at like 11. So, I mean, there's that. But anyway, there's times. And so, you know, I have a more funnel time in Shakarit, is what I'm trying to say. And then, you know, I have to go to work. And I'll be at work like all day. Best right of Shem, I can be home before Minka. But if I can't, you know, I will be doing Minka in the car. 
and it'd be a lot different. So it's like, all right, swerve, you know, not really swerve. Okay. But anyway, drive safely. Uh, Davin cheerfully and safely. If you're davening while you're driving, mm, davening and driving, <laughs> that's how we drink and drive. You davin and drive. You don't drink and drive. You davin and drive. Okay. But anyway, so I was just saying, yeah, you know, it's just going to be kind of crazy, but you know, will I, will I still be for Hashem, even if I don't have as much time to devote to all of these other uh, activities that I've been able to devote to. It's like, I want to say yes, Hashem. And he was, and it was just kind of, it wasn't he saying this, but the realization was that the only way that's going to be possible is for me to lower still. Like I need to lower still. I need to lower myself, lower my esteem and my own eyes, you know, uh, humble myself, you know, be patient and, you know, consider yourself nothing. And I was like, yeah, I feel like nothing right now. Shem. I feel like a speck of dust. And it's like, good. Cause you don't need to be lording yourself over people and feeling like, Oh, Shummer man's in the house. Party time. Heads up. Eyes on me. About to do it. About to kill it. Uh, you know, it's like, if you got that mentality, bro, you're, you're failing right now. Even, even though you have all this time. I'm like, wow. And again, you know, this comes from uh, the writings of Yaakov, Yaakov chapter one. Uh, and this is a shout out to uh, the Rambat Shlita, a.k.a. Eshet Pela, the Wonder Woman Avenger of ours, known as Batya, the daughter of Get You Some. That's who she is. Uh, so, yeah, so she was in the Musar study and it said this in Yaakov chapter one. And I was like, dang, seriously? Is that how we roll? And she was like, yep. Because I talked to the screen, you know, I'm like, girl, what's wrong with you? And she just keeps going. And I'm like, do you hear what I'm saying? And she's like, just going. Because, I mean, I'm on chat. But, I mean, I'm not chatting this stuff. But I'm just I'm just throwing stuff at the screen. And she's just like, whatever. You know, Wonder Woman, you can throw, like, a couch at her. And she's just like. Is that all you got? Is that a couch? Is that what we do? We just throw couches at people? I mean, what are you trying to do? Make me mad? (laughs) Anyway, what in the world? It says, where is this verse? Because I remember, yeah, here it is. Verse 26. The writings of Yaakov, which is commonly known as James, chapter 1, verse 26. If anyone considers himself religious... And yet does not bridle his tongue. He deceives his heart and his religion is worthless. And I was just like, wow, that's ridiculous. You know, Yaakov 126 tells us that, you know, you think that you're legit. You think that you're doing the best you can. But if the words that are coming out of your mouth are defaming, uh, if they're obscene, if they're just harsh if they're uh evil if they're full of poison and not blessing and full of curses then uh you're deceiving yourself that you're even a yehudi that you're even in covenant that you're even a a person who seeks to serve hashem and i'm like oh my word you know and so i was thinking that to myself because before you have words you have actions and people say actions speak louder than words well that's because your actions precede your words 
Your words, by the way, flow out of your heart and they're way more powerful than anything you can do. You know, and so, you know, the, the, the way the tongue is so swift, it can, it can set a forest on fire. Your little tongue can set fire to a forest. That's in Yaakov chapter three. So read more about that. But anyway, I was just kind of like, yeah, so, you know, how, how is it going to be when, when I have to go back to work and when I have less time to devote to things and I have to figure out how to reorient my schedule and how to, you know, do this. And I was like, yeah. So anyway, that was just a little experience I had to just, uh, to encourage everybody, no matter where you are and, uh, what level of observance you have, how much experience you have in Torah, reading the Bible and all that kind of stuff. No matter where we think we are, if we don't consider ourselves lower than other people, then we're, we're, uh, we're fooling ourselves. We're in a state of self-delusion. We are not better than anybody else. And if the whole world could grasp that concept, you know, even if the Mashiach doesn't come back yet, and we pray that he does come back now, but in that meantime, the whole world doing that, that would be Mashiach being back because ultimate godliness in the world is revealed through our love of our fellow mankind. Uh, Yochanan writes it this way. He says, no one is seeing God. So let me go ahead and pull that up because, uh, this would say what I tried to say, uh, the best way it comes from the writings of Yochanan. Uh, wait, wait, wait. First Yochanan, I believe. Dun, dun, yes, first, first Yochanan, chapter 4, 11 through 13. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God remains in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we remain in him and he in us and we and he he has given us his spirit. Insinuating, implying and inferring that if you really want to see God, it looks like loving one another just as Hashem has loved us. Which is why that is the greatest commandment, which is why that's the Torah portion this week of Akari Mot and why we have to understand how our atonement works hand in hand with our holiness and that this is a continual thing that we don't just bank on for just one time and we're out, you know? So anyway, with the time that we have left, let's see how much we can get into this. So I got back in the Midrash says, because the part two of yesterday's podcast, I wanted to uh, really speak on this, the preparations of Yom Kippur and just kind of glean some of the things that happened because you know very applicable to um to what we what we walk through on a daily basis you know Hashem literally gives us a Yom Kippur you know every every night when we retire through our bedtime Shema and every morning when we arise through our Shakarit morning blessings 
We're considered to be uh, purified, atoned, born again. That's the purpose of the two lambs, by the way. That's why one lamb that's offered in the evening burns all the way through the night. It's a perpetual atonement through the night. Literally, one of the uh, commentaries brings down that it, it atones for improper thoughts that we have during the night. So that's kind of uh, interesting because, again, those two lambs, the morning lamb and the afternoon lamb, are connected to the Akedah, which means it's connected to Yom Kippur and it's connected to um, the the binding of Isaac, the offering of Mashiach, you know, and all of that. They're all interconnected, and so we're really uh, perpetually in that Kedusha, by the way. So this is why if you try to say, well, the Messiah can't be a sin offering because he was a man. And it's just like, well, let's talk about what that really means. But anyway, I talked about that yesterday, so won't belabor that point. But just to say that, you know, in the morning, that other lamb is going to bring us into a new wave of atonement. And so there's a whole preparation for the morning lamb to get on the altar. And um, it's basically, if we look at the preparation of Yom Kippur and what actually goes on during this day, we can expand this out. You know, like, you know how if you're on the phone and you take your two fingers and pinch the, uh, the image and then you spread your fingers out and zoom in. Like, that's kind of what, you know, these principles that I'm going to share Bezrat Hashem, uh, it'll basically be like zooming in on that because when you zoom in, you expand that out over your whole year, basically. So you can see facets of your year just by looking at one particular aspect of your atonement. So it's kind of crazy, I know, but uh, again, I shared that drop yesterday. So if this is not connecting, then please go back to the uh, Akare Mote uh, Drosh about entering boldly into the Holy of Holies. What did I title that podcast specifically? Well, here's what I titled it specifically. specifically Boldly into the Holy of Holies. So there's a lot in there that will uh, clear up what I just said. Anyway, on page 180 in the Midrash says for Vaikra, it says, Hashem explained to Moshe the special avoda, the special worship service, uh, to be performed in the Beit HaMikdash on Yom Kippur. It had been, or it had to be performed by the Kohen Gadol personally throughout the day. Preparations for that holiest day of the year began in advance. See, if you really want to get into all right, I want to observe the Shabbat. I want to observe, you know, all these different commandments. I want to do this. I want to do that. Everything starts with preparation. And the preparation, by the way, is considered to be a mitzvah. So it literally is a commandment to take a shower and get dressed and make yourself clean so that you can go ahead and uh, dawn tefillin and ze- or uh, tallit and tefillin. Because, by the way, you don't put tefillin on when you're gross and dirty. So if you got some some body odor stuff going on, you got some some just grime on your body, uh, clean up a little bit, and then you put your feeling on. So anyway, uh, side note, just to throw that out there. Preparations for that holiest day of the year began a week in advance. The Kohen Gadol left his house to take up residence 
in a special chamber of the Beit HaMikdash. So you leave a week in advance, right? So what's a week before Yom Kippur? That is the third of Tishrei, which is where we commonly celebrate as the Zom Gedalia, the fast of Gedalia. And there's a whole history drop on that. But if you really look at it, we come right out of Rosh Hashanah, two-day Yom Tov, and we go right into this third day where we fast. And this is in antiquity where the Kohen Gadol would leave his house. And by the way, there's a backup Kohen Gadol. So yeah, it's like the, the priest anointed for war type thing. The second Mashiach, if you will. They both leave their homes. They both are separated from their wives for this time so that they can be pure and all this kind of stuff. Well, that's the first fast. And then the final fast is the Day of Atonement. So you literally have two fasts that book in this week that we're getting into as we enter into a new year. So that's completely different from the way other people enter into their new year. There's a lot of frivolity and a lot of things like that. There's a lot of reverence and things that we focus on as the Jewish nation. Because why? Hashem said, be holy, holy, holy. And uh, that's what we do because Naseh Nishma. We will do and we will hear. That's just how we roll. Hashem said, do it. I don't know why, but we're doing it. Okay. Many of us who are blessed and fortunate to grow up with parents who said, do this. And we're like, uh, yes, ma'am. Like we never had a, why, why you want me to do this? Tell me why you want me to do this. And then I'll do it. Cause if, if that happens, then there's a blackout, you know, not of the house power, but of your power, you know, and then you wake up and you need a new haircut. You're seeing Tweety birds. You're like, Hey man, what's this? What's this ring around my eye, you know, or why do I feel like I I got a concussion or something? You know, it's like because because you questioned your parents and you don't do that. You know, they tell you to do something, you do it. And it's just like you don't have to know why. Anyway, that, I went way off into I mean, I'm half kidding about all the black eye stuff because, you know, you could be down, man. Drop kicks, and elbow drops, you know, where you think wrestling came from? Parenting. Anyway, so. Something's in my eye. Hopefully it goes away. Rukashem. So, the 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 two fasts that we have in Tishrei, I mean, it's really cool. We come right out of uh, really pouring our hearts out in repentance for that whole previous month. Because the preparation for Yom Kippur literally is a lul. Like, we spend all this time in Teshuvah and uh, we say the uh, the penitential prayers, you know, that were the sleek out. That's where we're praying throughout Elul, Psalm 27, and all of that wonderfulness. And then all of a sudden, Rosh Hashanah is here. Then we're doing the shofar blast, and we're really crowning Hashem as king and asking him for forgiveness and uh, all of that. We're always asking for forgiveness, by the way. If you really get to know Judaism, we don't ever consider ourselves worthy of anything. The only thing we consider ourselves worthy of is Hashem's judgment because he's so just and so true. And we really pray and ask Hashem to be merciful to us. Like we pray that we're worthy of your mercy, Hashem. Like that's literally the thing. So I love that we get to exist like that, that we are always asking Hashem for forgiveness and we're always forgiving others and asking Hashem to help us forgive others. And then at the same time, asking Hashem to be merciful to us. And then obviously being humble and walking with Hashem and stuff. So like, that's, 
so amazing. So anyway, the third of uh, Tishrei, you know, that's where the, the two Kohanim leave their households. So the Kohen Gadol left his house to take up residence in a special chamber in the Beit HaMikdash. He had to purify himself and prepare for the service for seven days. The cool thing about this is this actually backs up to Parsha Shemini and um, Parsha Vayikra and Zav, which is outflowed from uh, Pekude and Vayakel at the end of Shemot. So all the way from <clears throat> Pekude, Vayakel, all the way up to Shemini Akari Mot, when you put all these Torah portions together, this is showing us this time of, or specifically Vayakel anyway, because when the tabernacle's actually set up, and then the whole seven-day period that was uh, there first to get us to Parsha Shemini, which was that eighth day, which if you look at the, the calendar, the seven days were the final seven days of the month of Adar. So the month of Adar leads us into the first day of Nisan, which is considered to be the eighth day where all of Parsha Shemini and Akare Mot basically take place. So Yom Kippur is the same way that there is a seven day period after Rosh Hashanah that gets us to Yom Kippur. And so these days, these 10 days on the calendar is called the days of awe, the Yamim Noraim. And these are like supercharged days on the, the, the Hebrew calendar. By the way, if there was a Jubilee year coming up, then for these 10 days, you're in a suspended animation period of, you know, the previous year you were, uh, you're released from your captivity and now you're getting ready to go into a year where you're just, you're never going back into captivity again. So, and that would officially take place with the shofar blast at the conclusion of Yom Kippur. So this time period is so supercharged with transitioning out of uh, debt and transitioning out of uh, just sin and bondage and getting rid of baggage and all this kind of stuff to get ready for the great renewal of Yom Kippur because this is likened to the Yom Kippur that a married couple has because before you get married in Judaism, you actually have a personal Yom Kippur and then the festival of Sukkot is the wedding festival. So between Yom Kippur and Sukkot, you have that four day period, which is the same period we had on Shabbat Hagadol where we were in the 10th of Nisan back in Egypt. And we took that lamb that we were going to designate to have as the, the Pesach. And so now we have the, on the flip side, the mirror side of that, if you will, and the month of Tishrei, where we're celebrating Yom Kippur and Sukkot, you have that whole preparation period of like from Yom Kippur, you're like, all right, cleanse, purify to get ready so that I can be ready to enter in to the sukkah with Hashem as a brand new uh, marriage with Hashem, Kiddushin. And what that looks like is a seven-day festival, which has another eighth day to it, because that eighth day is called Sheminiat Zeret and Simchat Torah. And that's where we really celebrate launching into the Le'ela, you know, going beyond, beyond the beyond, the level of eight, you know, transcendence and all that kind of stuff. So, a ridiculous amount of seven, eight, seven to the eight, seven to the eight, 
Like you're doing that a lot. So I just love the fact that um, this seven days for purification lines up with the Metzora. Remember that? Had to be quarantined for seven seven days. And then on the eighth day, you know, and then you have also the Nida period where the woman is impure for those seven days. And on the eighth day, purify herself and can enter back with her husband. Obviously, the custom has been developed over our history as a people that we add uh, extra days so that it's not technically an eight day uh, separation between the husband and wife for Nida. But, you know, as far as Torah goes, that's that's the pattern. So, you know, you do it. You talk with your rabbi if you want to figure all that stuff out. But I just want to bring up the, the patterns for us. And also, if a person was uh, contaminated by a corpse, i.e. if they came in contact with death, they would also be impure for seven days and they need the sprinkling of the ashes of the red heifer. And that would happen, sprinkle, sprinkle on the third day and sprinkle, sprinkle on the seventh day, and then they're purified. So what am I saying? I'm saying the Kohen Gadol, who's going to operate as the agent of atonement on the day of atonement, is going to go through crossing over from death into life and is going to precede us in purification. Just the same way that Messiah Yeshua has preceded us in the death, the burial, and the resurrection. He's our front runner. So there's that whole thing to really look at. And so it's like like a leper, like a person com- uh, contaminated by death, like a person who is in Nida, you know, and... Uh, yeah, just a, a whole separation period and purification. So I love that that was brought up. And it goes on to say that, uh, oh, yeah, and I wrote out in the notes that, so that means Yom Kippur is technically an eight-day festival, really, if you think about it, because, you know, you've completed Rosh Hashanah, so now you're getting ready to go into Yom Kippur, even though it's on the 10th day, but it starts as the eighth day of a seven-day period, where, you know, even we, uh, if we observe the fast of Gedalia, that you're literally, and we don't have to, uh, I think it's actually, we don't, that's an optional fast for the, uh, the Lapid community that may, may or not change. I have no idea, but cause we're still growing and things are still working out. So with every, with every year this comes around, we get to grapple with that. You know, this is the first year we're doing the Yom Kippur Katan. So who knows? But anyway, it still stands that this day is a very significant day for us if we want to enter into it, that, you know, it's the beginning process of this march up to Yom Kippur, which would be the eighth day from that point. So the the thing for that is, you know, this is an eighth day. This is a shimony. You know, this is a new beginning, if you will, when it comes to the Yom Kippur for the Kohen Gadol, which vicariously means us because... The Kohen Gadol represents all of Israel on that day. So that goes on to say in the next statement, besides the officiating Kohen, a substitute was also made ready in case the Kohen Gadol became Tamei, which is Tamei no way. That means impure. Says the Kohen Gadol became Tamei and was unable to function in his capacity. So this is kind of one of the things too, that I love to point out is that always have a backup plan. You know, if, if this doesn't work out, then what you got next, you know, kind of thing. Um, 
in in the Iron Man three movie, which was very very interesting. Uh, one of the scenes, uh, I I was without my suit and I got uh, encountered by a hostile enemy, and uh, I love one of the lines that Tony Stark said. He said that uh, we always cover our back. You know, we always cover our posterior, basically, because uh, the enemy thought he had him at one point. He's like, nope, no, you don't, because <laughs> because we don't roll like that. We don't just come unprepared into stuff. Got this. OK, we don't we don't say that boldly, basically. But for all purposes, the point in my little tangent was to say. We have a substitute Cohen ready to go in case the first Cohen was uh made impure by anyway also you should know that a backup wife was also made for the cohen so technically the cohen would have two wives during this period because should his wife experience any kind of difficulties or whatever there was always one in waiting and ready for him to go so the cohen when he would perform Whichever Cohen, so you got two prominent leaders of the Jewish community with two wives for seven days to be prepared for that eighth day so that they're covered, whoever's needed, you know, in case something goes down. And, um, you know, the point of that is that the greatest and most holiest day on the, on the Jewish calendar uh, you have a person who's a distinct leader who's married and he has to be married. He has to, it's so important for him to be married that he gets to have a backup wife, you know, in case anything goes wrong. Now, mind you, him and his wife aren't together. Him and his other wife aren't together either because again, he's in a special chamber. He's hidden away like the Afi Komen for seven days. And then he appears on the eighth day like Messiah did when he was resurrected because he was he was resurrected uh, to start the first day of the week, which if you connect that to the previous week of seven days, because seventh day was the Shabbat, then the first day of the week is technically an eighth day. So that that's interesting. But anyway, the Kohen Gadot will be revealed. Everybody will be like, oh, and the, and the wife will be like, there's my husband, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, that's just some really cool details to really kind of look at what's surrounding all of this information. So I said, yo, so the two Kohanim are like the two Mashiachs, you know, so that's why we have two Mashiachs. Not, that's the, that's not the only reason we have two Mashiachs, but you know, you can see a picture of the two Mashiachs there because again, even though this is a picture of the two Mashiachs, don't get crazy, myself included. To be like, oh well, Mashiach has to be a Cohen. He has to be married, and then he's got. All, by the way, the Mashiach is married to Israel. By the way, so there's there's that. So he does have a wife, and all that. So oh, and the other thing is, we're gonna regard Hashem as our husband in the Olam Haba anyway. So who is the Mashiach? He's the image of Hashem. Okay, so just to point that all out. Uh, so yeah, so it's just just a really cool little um, what do they call this type? Here's a type and shadow to to two Kohanim, two Mashiachs, both hidden away to appear on the eighth day and bring atonement for the people. Wow. Okay. On the third and seventh day of the preparation days, the priests would be sprinkled with the purifying waters of the para aduma. But wait, which is ashes of the red heifer. 
You mean to tell me that Cohen has to get sprinkled with the para ha'aduma even though he's a Cohen? I thought he was already supposed to be in a purified state. But now he's got to go through this. This right here is the point of why we continue to pray, continue to study, continue to be observant, and continue to do everything we possibly can in our service in relationship to Hashem because preparation is what we're doing. So the Kohen Gadol, he may have already been a purified state, but he's still going to get sprinkled with the ashes of the red heifer. We may already feel like, oh, we're atoned, we're good, Hashem. It's like, but you better get in there and make shuva. You know? So I love that. And it goes on to say, on the chance that he had unknowingly become to May through contact with a corpse. Oh, I should have read that before I rambled. But, uh, yeah, we, uh, there are some things that we don't know and realize that we do. Which, again, is the beauty of not considering yourself above anybody. If you're a person who lowers yourself, if you're a person who considers others higher than you do, you know, all those little um, nuances and intricacies and quirks that you miss about yourself that are frustrating to other people and that are shortcomings of our own thing that we don't realize that we do maybe we do something that's really annoying to other people and it really hurts other people's feelings but we don't know because they don't ever say anything so the point of the cohen here being sprinkled with the ashes of the red heifers is like you may think that you're pure but uh we just gonna get that covered anyway because because maybe you're not and if we could all exist in a because maybe we're not mentality, that would be awesome. You know, maybe we're not as cool as we think we are. Maybe we're not as on top of the ball as we think we are. Maybe we're not killing it like we think we are. You know, maybe people maybe people are like, oh, don't sit over here. Don't come over here today. Oh, don't talk to me right now. Don't do it. And you end up like, hey, what's going on? And before COVID-19, giving them bear hugs and stuff. You know, and it's just like, mm, well, I mean, that'll, that'll fix some stuff. And now you're like, oh man, do people hate me? You know, then the insecurity pops in, right? Good. Because we should never consider ourselves sure of ourselves. What we should consider ourselves is low. We should consider ourselves as nothing. We consider ourselves as Hashem. I need you. Please have mercy on me. And we consider ourselves as in need of forgiveness and in need to forgive, you know. And if you exist like that, no matter if you think people hate you or people love you, it doesn't matter because you're humble. You're doing the best of your ability and you're in love with Hashem and that's how you live. So insecurity goes away at that point because perfect love casts out all fear. And I'm not saying that fear is insecurity, but I'm saying that they're definitely related, even if they're the redhead stepchild, you know? <laughs> insecurity is the redhead stepchild of fear. Wow. Okay. Anyway, so let's not be too sure of ourselves. And may we all continue to make Teshuvah. So I'll finish this section and then I'll start a new podcast because this is kind of the, the end of the preparation stage and then we'll get into the actual day of Yom Kippur. So it goes on to say, say what? The Sanhedrin sent a delegation 
Okay, so you remember that group of 70 plus one? You know, the seed of Moses type stuff? So they get themselves a group of Shliakim, a group of apostles, if you will. And what they do is they get this group of apostles, which happen to be Talmudai Chakamim, which are Torah scholars. So the Sanhedrin appoints these people and they send them out to the four corners of the temple to go to the Kohen Gadol. I'm just kidding. Just wanted to say that. Because, you know, Mashiach sent us out as a delegation into the world, by the way, just like the Sanhedrin sends out this delegation to the Kohen. But anyway, this delegation of Talmudai Chakamim, they go to instruct the Kohen Gadol. And by default, the second Kohen Gadol, because they're in the background, but they're not really focused on because they just need to be ready to go in case anything goes down. So, you know, that principle of the Aleph Tav, uh, by the way, in the Torah and the Tanakh, that if you see the Aleph Tav, it represents someone who's there, but not really uh, prominent in the picture. So in other words, if, you know, for just a very, very... uh, hyperbolic example if Abraham and Yitzhak were traveling somewhere then you're looking at Abraham but yet Yitzhak's over there so like Yitzhak who looks like Abraham you're like so wait which one of you am I talking to and it's like yes you know and it's like but okay but I'm I'm talking to you though right Abraham and it's like both of them are answering yes so that's that's the Aleph Tav by the way so it's just like is it is it Mashiach or is it Hashem is it the Ruach HaKodesh is it the Shekinah because the Zohar brings down that the Alatav represents the Shekinah, which we know that the Shekinah represents Hashem, and then we know that the Aleph Tav is the Mashiach, because Hashem said that, that was the Aleph in the Tav, and then Hashem himself says, "I'm the first and I'm the last." You know, in the writings uh, or in the prophecy, in the the Sefer of Yeshayahu, Isaiah. So it's like, okay, so is it is it Holy Spirit? Is it Hashem? Is it Mashiach? Yes, but but we're talking uh, talking to the Word right now. Yes, you're talking to everybody all at once because you're talking to Hashem, you know. You realize when you're engaging with the Torah, you're engaging with Hashem. Just like when these Talmudai Chakamim were instructing the Kohen Gadol, they were by default instructing the substitute Kohen Gadol. Just a little olive top drop for everybody. So we're all, pun intended, on the same page. Goes on to say that they instructed Kohen Gadol and the service of Yom Kippur they read to in they read to him the Torah sections of Parasha Akhare Mot. Seriously, the Talmudic Hakamim are drashin with the Kohen Gadol, Kohen Hagadol, on the Torah portion of Akhare Mot. So when we study the Torah portion of Akhare Mot, it's like we're in the secret chamber in the temple with the Kohen Gadol getting him ready for Yom Kippur. So we're celebrating this seven-day period of where this happened. Wow. And it goes on to say, which deal with the Yom Kippur service and the halakot of Yom Kippur and repeated them until he, which is, again, there's two of them, but it's calling them one, just like the two lambs are called one. The morning lamb and the afternoon lamb are called one offering, the tamid offering. Anyway, just like Mashiach said, I and my father are one. So just, again, continue to connect all dots. says, so he repeated them until he knew them well. 
So, you know that thing where it's like, oh, yeah, I've heard that drop before. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've read that. Well, guess what? For seven days, they're in the tour portion of a car remote. And the Cohen Godot has already heard that. But they keep teaching him. <laughs> because he, he needs to know it well. It's like, is it written on your heart yet? Can you just repeat back to me the words that just came out of my mouth? You know, source included. It's like, if you can't say the, if you can't say yes to that, then, you know, don't be put out that, uh, someone's quoting this source that you already read before, you know, be excited that it's coming back up again. Cause by the way, this is an opportunity for remembering. Cause what if one day you don't get to have your books? What if one day, Shalom, we all lose our minds. We should be like, what? Tell me that. Tell me that insight again. I need it. Mm. This is so good. Mm, man, it's amazing. Anyway, uh, that was a little uh, exaggerated. Calm down, Shomer man. It's the quarantine life for us. The quarantine life for us. Instead of getting out, we stay in. Instead of going out, we stay in. It's the quarantine life. Wow, that just happened. Okay, note to self, if it's past an hour on the podcast, shut it down. (laughs) Because I get crazy after one hour. Okay, it says, this is probably why I would have went to sleep with the Talmudian too. Because Mashiach is like, if you stayed awake, could you not stay awake with me for one hour? It's like, I don't know if that's a good idea, man. I'm going to go to sleep because I'm crazy right now. And I don't have four cups of wine because, you know, the Seder night was what they did before the uh, they went into Gethsemane. But anyway, I digress. Read the letter. OK, they read to him these tour, the tour portion of Akari Mo, all the Halakot and all that. Right. Says if he knew the Halakot, <clears throat> he expounded them. Oh, what? OK, so he, he operates in the aspect of eternal life. Because he's like, okay, so we've gone through the written Torah and the oral Torah. We've read some Or HaChaim on Parsha Akhare Mo. And then you drop some Gematria. And then Homeboy, Homeboy over here dropping some Talmud. It's like, okay, tag. I got something I want to share with you guys. Can I can I read something to y'all? And then he, he goes in. And it's like, oh, so, man. So you got a group of Torah scholars with the Kohen Gadol, and they're having like a Avenger throwdown for seven days to get ready for Yom Kippur. Is that not legit? I mean, wow. Okay. It says, in that week, he also practiced offering the incense offering and lighting the menorah. And remember, Moshe practiced and taught Aharon and his sons practicing, uh, by the way, all of the offerings that we read about in Vayikra and Zav. So everything that went down in Shemini and forward, uh, that was all practice and taught. Moshe leading and then Aaron and his sons following, you know. And so everybody's practicing and doing all the service for the seven days leading up to the eighth day. And it's like, all right, Aaron, suit up, get it in. You know, you've been in the training course and gone through all the I know Kung Fu, Matrix, Preload, Program stuff, and now it's time to get with it and actually do it. So that happens. And the reason why I love that they bring up the uh, the incense offering, because a little bit down, it says they practice with him the art of pouring the Ketorit from the spoon into his hands. 
there's this thing where the Cohen has the incense and a coal and a shovel and like he's got to bring all that in uh through the parochial and offer that at the uh the base of the ark and the holy of holies but it's like okay so how is he going through this super heavy parochial by the way the parochial was huge and there's two of them and uh he's got to go into the holy place offer up the the golden altar and then he's got to go into the the holy of holies which again a, a interesting way to get in there and then he's got all he's got his hands full basically is what i'm trying to say and highly flammable stuff is in his hands and he's going to go through a fabric which by the way is probably a transcendent fabric at this point because if we're never supposed to go into the holy of holies and especially without preparation but yet Hashem wants us to go in there and only the Kohen can go in there and nobody can hold the, the parochial back for him. How in the world is he going to get in there? Side note, it's going to be super smoky in there. And then when he gets in front of the ark, there's a big cloud already in there in anyway. So it's like, how do I know I've reached the ark? How do I get through the curtain without burning it down? How do I even make sure I don't trip and fall over anything? So there's a very, very interesting amount of precarious situation that's going on just to get into the holy of holies aside from the again i read in the midrash shabbat about the the whole trek of going into the holy place and how harming angels are in there you know so that i mean that's another thing so anyway if he got the the coals and the incense and all that kind of stuff mixed up he's got a handful of stuff he's got the shovel he got the scoop and all that what if some of that drops? What if like, you know, uh, the Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom type stuff, carry the cup, don't let it spill kind of thing. And yet you got to trek across this dangerous, uh, situation. Indiana Jones is so spiritual, man. It's like, so Torah, but like not Torah at the same time, which is kind of weird to say. But anyway, um, yeah, so that goes on. Right. And it's just like, it's a supernatural thing to get in there. But the, when he gets in there, He's got his work cut out for him because he's got to do this this fancy thing with the Ketorit. And um, this was one of the things that the Sadducees, when they came around in the second temple, were like, uh, nah, we ain't going to be able to do that. That's, that's ridiculous. That's too much. That takes way too much talent, and I ain't got it. I just wanted the Cohen Godot spot because I wanted all the fancy stuff, and I wanted everybody to bow to me. And again, um, there's a whole lot to that to really talk about. But let me see if I can find that drop on the Ketorit because you got to hear this. This is like a crazy, you talk about having some skill. This guy, the Cohen Godot. Yeah, here it is. Page 186. All right. This, this is, by the way, this is the last thing. So after this, we're done. Enough of my craziness. Okay. Page 186. It says this. The Avodah Bakodesh HaKodashim, the service in the Holy of Holies, now followed the crucial and most delicate part of the Avoda, which was anxiously anticipated by the entire people. You know that thing in the movies where it's like the hold your breath moment and you're like, what's going to happen? What What's going to, you know, um... Let me see. I'm trying to think. Oh, anyway, you can pick your own example. I was going to try to give one, but enough of my examples. They're always crazy examples anyway. So that, that super hold your breath moment, like, oh gosh, is this going to work? 
So the whole time the Kohen Gadol is getting ready to go into the Holy of Holies, it's this big hold your breath moment. Like everybody is silent. Like it's just like, what's going on? Like where is he? Did he make it in there? Can we get a camera on him? No, can't get a camera on him because we're not supposed to be in there. Okay, okay. Oh, man, I wish I had x-ray vision right now. Oh, this would be just, can we open the door? No, we can't open the door. Okay, okay. Uh, okay, how's it going? You know, and you're you're just, you're like highly anxious and highly anticipated what's going on. The Cohen goes, going into the Holy of Holies right now. Like, it's just, like you're so fired up, but you can't really say anything because it's like, shh, be quiet. It's atonement happening right now. You know, it's just like, whoa. Anyway, talk about uh, suspended animation. I bet that was the most ridiculous time. And again, you can smell the incense all the way outside where you're at. People in Jericho uh, could even smell the the incense, you know, because that's how far they reached. But anyway, from Jerusalem to Jericho is a, quite a distance. So, uh, yeah, so you're smelling like all this stuff and like you don't hear anything. You can't see anything. You're like, oh, man. Oh, wow. Okay. Woo. You know, I just, I'm just trying to, obviously I'm there. Y'all can tell, hopefully I'm, I'm like, I'm in it <laughs> anyway. So this is anxiously anticipated by the entire people. The Kohen Gadol had to enter the Kodesh HaKodeshim to offer the Ketorit. He filled a golden pan with glowing coals taken from the exterior altar. Highly flammable, by the way. Try not to get that on your clothes. And it says, and try not to burn down the parochet while you're in there. Okay, mission. All right, do you accept it? Okay, go. <laughs> it's like, thanks. Just a little bit of pressure. It says, he was handed a vessel containing incense. So you got the pan, and now you got the vessel. From which he scooped incense with both hands. And then it says, then he transferred these two handfuls of incense to a spoon. So he's got a pan, got a vessel, and got two handfuls of the incense uh, and a spoon. So he took the pan containing the coals in his right hand, spoon in his left hand, entered into the Holy of Holies. He put down the pan with the coals between the poles of the Aron, the Ark. And then it says, by the way, in the second Beit HaMikdash, which had no Ark, up on the stone, uh, which the ark used to rest. So the ark rested on a stone. The Torah rests on a stone. This is why Romans 3 is super important, because your Torah rests on the foundation stone. We're arks at this point, but we are to rest on the foundation stone, which is none other than the son of Hashem, the foundation stone. The Evan Shetiah is what it's actually called. So study the Evan Shetiah, and if you don't have your Evan Shetiah, then you don't have a place for your Torah. So if you're trying to be a Torah without a foundation stone, then that's not right. Anyway, uh, it just says, so the Ark used to rest, so they would put it there, and it says, they seized the edge of the spoon containing the incense, either with his fingertips or teeth. Okay, so let's replay this because I went off into a crazy swerve. He put the pan with the coals between the poles of the Aron or uh, upon the stone. 
Okay, so either there's an ark there or there's just, you know, nothing. So you put it on the stone where the ark would be. So you put that there, right? So you put the pan there. So you seize the edge of the spoon, you know, which you had the spoon in your, took the, uh, the spoon, where did he say that? Vessel, one hand he had the spoon, it doesn't say which, oh yeah, there it is. Spoon is in his left hand. Incense in the right, spoon on the left, or the coals on the right, spoon on the left. Okay, so you put the pan down, you got the coal, you got the spoon right here. Okay, so then it says, you seize the edge of the spoon containing the incense with either your fingertips or teeth to keep both hands free. So now you needed to make sure you had use of both hands. So now you either take your fingertip, like which is interesting, there is no spoon, like the Matrix style. <laughs> so it's like, okay, hold the spoon. Let me just, okay, I'll hold it in my mouth. Okay, so my two hands are free. Got my coals put down there. Okay, to keep both hands free and poured Ketorit back into his hands. Okay, so the incense you put into your hands. So you do a little, dump the, the spoon contents out into your hand. Okay, you had to have two handfuls. So now you got a spoon in your mouth, you got two handfuls. So it's like, I'm like, okay, right, okay, left, okay. Kind of like the Kazan when he's doing the priestly blessing during the uh, Shimon Esrei. He turns and he's like, Yeah, the whole Braca, I'm blanking on it right now. I'm too turned up on this, so forgive me for not being able to quote that verbatim at the moment. But, you know, he does the priestly blessing, the... May the Lord bless you and keep you. And he turns all these different directions. So you got the one hand and then you got the other hand. So now you have a spoon in your mouth. You got two handful of incense. And this is, by the way, this is what the Sadducees were like. I'm out. I ain't doing that. And that ultimately ended up being their death because they diverted from how you're supposed to do this. But anyway, so it says this was one of the most difficult skills required in the Beta Mikdash since not a single drop of incense was allowed to fall to the ground in the process he concluded the service by heaping the katorit into the pan uh, which contained the coals and waited for the smoke of the incense to fill the kodesh hakodashim this avoda caused the glory of the shekinah to reveal itself and when the Shekinah reveals itself, the Zohar brings down that this is when that song, you know, the Moshav song. So, yeah, that that was the song that would be recited or the the song, the soundtrack. There we go. The soundtrack that would happen when the Shekinah would do that. By the way, that happened three times a day in the temple. So if you ever wonder why that song is so turned up, that's that's why. Because that's a Shekinah coming down song. So the Shekinah will reveal itself, yet it was veiled in smoke. Come on, man. Veiled in smoke. It says, yet it was veiled in smoke so that the Kohen Gadol should not be able to gaze at it. Mm. It's like, here's the Shekinah, but it's concealed. Which again... Mashiach is the image of Hashem, but Hashem is concealed. Like, you can't really see Hashem, but you you can see Hashem. Just like the Kohen could see the Shekinah, but he couldn't really see the Shekinah. Side note, 
You're in the Holy of Holies for crying out loud. Is that not exhilarating enough? And then you're freaking out about, I can't drop this incense. How am I going to get the incense out the spoon into both of my hands in front of this flaming hot pan of coals? And, oh, there's the ark. And, oh, my goodness, the parochia's behind me. Oh, my gosh, I'm outside of time and space right now. Because you realize the Holy of Holies is outside of time and space. Because, like, that literally is the essence of being in heaven. Like, when Moses went up to the top of the mountain and entered into heaven, that's exactly what it's like when the Kohen Gadol goes into the Holy of Holies. So, going into the Holy of Holies is like going into heaven, probably a 60th, if if not more, of Shemaim. Because, I mean, the presence of Hashem is there. So, I mean, it's ridiculous. Lower heaven. So, let's go with that. Okay. So, it's kind of like the, the heavens on the earth kind of thing. That That's the Holy of Holies. So anyway, isn't it interesting that in the Shema that we say that the days of the heavens on the earth as a part of the Shema, and we learn about the Shema being the Holy of Holies. But then it's like when we go in the Shemone Esrei, that's considered to be in the Holy of Holies. So it's just kind of like, what is happening? But anyway, it says he walked out backwards. He did as uh, Shlita and I uh, now loving, lovingly like to do as a dance move. It's called the Tefillah Walk. And we don't do it as a dance move to be degrading or anything. But, um, yeah, the tefillah walk where, you know, you take the three steps back and you bow and do the old say shalom. Yeah, that's called a tefillah walk. Uh, we were half kidding about making it into a dance. But, uh, that I mean, that's a very reverent time. So that's not anything, obviously, to take lightly. But neither are our words. <laughs> so... Yeah, everything is connected. It's crazy. He walked backwards without averting his face from the direction of our own. It's important to note that as we approach the destruction of the first temple and uh, all throughout the second temple when there were Sadducees in place, they didn't care which way they faced when they walked out the Holy of Holies. They turned their back on the ark. There's like, oh, the Shekin is revealed. Okay, cool. What's that over there? Squirrel? Okay. Like, could you ever think about the impact and just the the woe of did you just turn your back on a shim like you know we we don't even turn our back on the torah scroll when we have the torah out and we don't even walk away from the ark with our back to it we back up from the ark which is the torah concealed and then when the torah is revealed we definitely don't turn our back on the torah so i mean i'm like could you imagine walking out of the holy of holies you like facing away from the from the Shekinah, facing away from the Ark, facing away from Hashem. Like, yikes. Okay. Anyway, uh, last thing it says um, the Kohen Gadol's entry into the Holy of Holies was accompanied by the Tefilot of the entire Kalal Yisrael, entire assembly of Yisrael, and his emergence from there was awaited with trembling. Man, they're like, oh gosh, I hope he makes it. I hope he does it. I hope he didn't spill anything. I hope he didn't burn anything up. Oh my gosh. Says the Torah warns that if any part of the ceremony was not executed according to the Torah commandments, the Kohen Gadol would incur the heavenly death penalty. Vayikra 16, 13. Then it goes into this whole big drop on um, the Sadducees in there. And what I want to bring up to finish us out with this final point, because I know I said that was the last thing. Hagiga 14b into 15b 
and cross-reference with Chagiga 2.1 from the Jerusalem Talmud, it says, Four entered into a mystical experience referred to as the Pardes, and Ben Azai glanced and died. That's the first guy. Ben Zelma glanced and was injured. That's the second guy. Rabbi Akiva entered in peace and departed in peace. And there's another gentleman who was not mentioned whose name is Acher, and he uh, he definitely went crazy and did not make it out well either. So this is coming down from Lakute Sikot, but it says on the surface, the difference between Rabbi Akiva and his colleagues was noticeably was noticeable only afterwards. When Rabbi Akiva departed in Shalom, why is it necessary to mention that he entered in Shalom? Seemingly, there was no difference between his entry and that of his colleagues. And so they're talking about the Pardes being going up into like one of the levels of the heavens, basically, and um, all this kind of stuff. So when it came to entering into the Holy of Holies, it says this. We appreciate the purpose of these instructions. Do not enter the, the inner sanctuary at all times. It is in this manner that he should enter the sanctuary and he should atone for himself and for his household. The intent is to caution against a thrust of Ratzu, which is running, like yearning for Hashem and getting out there and, and uh, striving towards him, without the accompanying movement of Shuv, which is returning, which is like if you're, if you go into prayer, you go into Torah study, then you also need to make sure you want to come out of it because you have to enter in in Shalom and come out in Shalom, just like the way you go into the Holy of Holies in Shalom and come out in Shalom. Because the height of Yom Kippur was actually found in getting the Kohen Gadol back home to his wife. Yom Kippur was not complete until that happened. So it's like, oh, yeah, you went in the Holy of Holies. Like, how many times? Oh, man, you did all this stuff today. And, oh, you said the divine name and all that kind of stuff. But we're but you're home now. That's that's the culmination of why all those other things happen. And, again, this is all the eighth day. So now you're you're going into, you know, a new day because you completed the eighth day. And so now, you know, it's tenth day, really, but it's an eighth day. And it's just kind of interesting on that end. But. You know, you're doing your Havdalah thing, and, and now you're getting ready for the sukkah. But it's like, okay, so you got to go, go back home to your wife. So you can't just be all about going into the Holy of Holies and boldly going before God without the whole understanding of return. Because if you do that, that leads to your departure, uh, either from sanity or from this world. Chazbe Shalom. So just like these gentlemen who went into the Pardes, only one of them came out. And it's just kind of like, wow, one out of four. So, you know, again, and that's another thing, too, why it was good for me to have my cry time today to realize that, okay, I've, I've been in quarantine and I, I need to make sure that I've entered in it into Shalom and then I can come out of it in Shalom because one day nobody will be quarantined. And so, uh, you know, what's that going to look like? And Bezrat Hashem, that we've, we've understood the whole fact that you know, we were hidden away and now we have to come out, you know, because think about it. What if Mashiach never came out of the tomb? What if he's like, Psh, I'm done. I'm done with with this whole earth thing. Y'all didn't want me anyway. You know, only a few people, 12. Well, 11 of my homeboys was really down for me. And then even they ran away. But like, I ain't going back. Psh, I'm fine. I'm good now. I ain't got to worry about it. 
But he's like, no, I got to go back because I got to be the first fruits of the resurrection because if I don't resurrect, ain't nobody going to resurrect. So that means everybody's going to stay dead in their sin, which is the danger, by the way, in teaching a gospel that's all about the death of the Mashiach and not about the resurrection of the Mashiach. That's why you need to become a new creation because Torah and Judaism, we understand that Mashiach, not only did he die and not only was he buried to atone for us, but he also was resurrected, which gives us the ability to like get us some. So anyway, that whole thing. And it says that this was in the merit of the women that the Cohen was able to do that. And I believe I posted that on Instabam. But just know Lakute Sikot uh, for Parsha um, Akari Mot brings all this down. And that's the whole point of going into the Holy of Holies is to come back. So, Bezrat Hashem, this was helpful information. Thank you for joining me. And I know I have fun. Hopefully you did. Continue to get you some. And may HaKadosh Baruch Hu send Mashiach now.